Welcome to Brand Story, Inc. I'm your host, Jay Sharman. Every week, we sit down with smart folks to talk about innovative ways they are creating content to connect with their audiences. I'd like to say every company can be a media company, and this conversation hopefully helps you understand why. I'm super excited for today's guest, Andrew Davis, best-selling author, internationally acclaimed keynote speaker. Before building and selling a thriving digital marketing agency, Andrew produced for NBC's Today Show. He worked for the Muppets. I mean, how cool is that? In New York, he wrote for Charles Kuralt. Uh He's been everywhere. New York Times, Forbes, Wall Street Journal, BBC, NBC. He's done documentary films and a guy after my own heart grew up in the ranks as a, as a television producer doing award-winning content for tiny startups up to Fortune 500 brands. He's recognized as one of the industry's, quote, jaw-dropping marketing speakers, end quote, making him blush, uh, a mainstay on the global (laughs) marketing influencer list. Uh, And wherever he goes, I've seen him first person. He puts an infectious enthusiasm, magnetic speaking style to good use, teaching business leaders how to grow their business uh, and transform and helping them leave their legacy. So, Andrew, thanks so much for joining us today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Jay. This is fun. Yeah, uh, I became a disciple after seeing you, I think, at Content Marketing Institute, gosh, probably six years ago and have followed you ever since. And, uh, you know, a little odd time for you since you're such a road warrior for the past few years. Um, but despite what's going on in the coronavirus situation, you're still <laughs> still garnering all kinds of awards around keynoting. And, and your latest topic, uh, which I want to touch on, is called The Loyalty Loop. For those of you uh, interested, check it out um, at Drew Davis here. H-E-R-E is the Twitter account for for Drew. Uh, But share, let's start there and explain to folks what you're doing right now around the loyalty loop. Oh, well, yeah, the loyalty loop was like this. It started as a year-long adventure to find an alternative to the funnel. Oh, and so I spent a lot of time trying to figure out what what's a better way to visualize the consumer journey and the way brands market in the, in the modern world. And uh, three years later, I'm doing like a, a video every week uh, on YouTube and and on LinkedIn uh, about what I found along the way. For example, like um, you know, this week I, I this week I actually started experimenting with chatbots uh, and and interacted with chatbots hmm. all over. Uh, and so I this week we're doing something called Chatbot Theater. So if you're interested in chatbots, check it out. It's kind of fun. Awesome. Um, but the whole goal is to just you know use the customers and clients you've got to get the customers and clients you want. Because I realized you know, the funnel, like just raising awareness, isn't uh, everything anymore. And there are much better ways to kind of build uh, a, a better experience for the customers and clients you're, you're, you have, which eventually you know grows your 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 business exponentially so it's kind of a focus on the experience we provide yeah i think you and i touched on this before we hopped on here i think it's a natural extension of one of your previous books uh which we'll talk about here in a second brandscaping uh, my all-time favorite content marketing book and i'm not saying that to pander i uh thank you liberally borrowed from it in presentations, as you well know, and some of your good, uh, good. some of your concepts that you've had. But I think, uh, you know, I think most of the people that are listening to this are generally in the marketing bucket, right? So yeah. and we're trying to talk about something near and dear to your heart and kind of that transformation into a media mindset for brands to really of tell course. their story and connect. Yeah. And your loyalty loop is a natural extension, right? It's, it's one thing to engage them through content. It's another thing through their entire life cycle as a customer to kind of 
be sure you're maximizing all those oh, yeah. opportunities. Yeah, and to be honest, the loyalty, like the loyalty, imposes on what I call a moment of commitment, which is an instant in time where you're trading some data for some information. Hmm. And and to me, the most valuable piece of information you can get from people these days is an email address. Hmm. And, you know, so and that hinges on your ability to deliver some valuable content on a regular basis to your your you know to your audience. And so. It fits really well into the concept that I've always been a big believer in that high quality content can actually drive revenue. And if one of the earliest moments of commitment you can make with a, a consumer is, is inviting them to sign up for some real content, not signing up for your newsletter, but you know, what exactly are you going to provide me if I commit to giving you my email address and how frequently are you going to deliver it are two of the easiest things you can do to start building a loyalty room. So it gives you an opportunity to tell your brand story or your story or your clients or customers' stories over time, and that's what builds trust with consumers. So yeah, it's a natural, you know, it's 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 a natural extension of what I feel like I've been talking about and thinking about for you know over a decade, which is really building a better relationship with your prospects and clients and customers by providing them with an amazing experience and. You know, while it's it's not just about content, uh, the loyalty loop anyway, it's, it, it hinges very heavily on your ability to execute that. Well, I think, you know, one of the things I'm most excited about in this conversation is that, you know, even on this podcast, sometimes you tend to get conceptual or philosophical. But I, the thing I loved about your brandscaping book was just the, the actual practical take home value of it. Uh, which I think people thirst for. It's easy to sit and talk about, you know, marketplace trends, but at the end of the day, someone's got to go back and, and, and do the work. And so I, I want to start there. And um, I have the way I define and talk about brandscaping, but I'd rather you do it. Uh, I'd love to, <laughs> it how do you succinctly uh, summarize brandscaping? I, well, brandscaping as a concept is just the simple process of bringing more than one brand together and their respective audiences to create content that increases demand and drives revenue for all parties involved. So it's really about creating partnerships to get access to a, an audience you never had access to before. That's the most basic way to think about it. Awesome. Well, I think, you know, to that point, how, how it connects with revenue, uh, we at Teamworks Media, we spend a lot of time with clients trying to help them discover that niche within the niche, which I think is so yeah. powerful, right? Where, to your point, to create value to that customer or even perhaps community members. And I often yeah. point to your fractal, F-R-A-C-T-A-L, <laughs> fractal marketing approach as the starting yeah. point, um, to your point. Walk, walk our listeners through your fractal marketing approach. Yeah, well, so uh, uh, we'll start with some basics. Like the, a fractal is just a self-similar repeating pattern. So like uh, if you're driving, don't do this, don't close your eyes. But if you're not driving, close your eyes for a second and just and just imagine a tree, all right? Like a, a tree has a big trunk and then a series of branches that kind of you know spray off of those and then some branches that spray off of those and branches that spray off of those. So if you take, if you take any market, you, no matter what you sell or what clients you, you know, or customers you're targeting, it doesn't matter if you're, you know, an educational institution looking for prospective students or you're a Fortune 500 company selling, you know, uh, uh, laundry detergent. You can target the trunk of the tree for sure. 
but it's a very diverse audience. And that's the way we marketed, you know, 50 years ago. That's kind of the idea that we just get a demographic in our minds, of, you know, uh, moms between 18 and 45, and that's who we're going after. It's like the most basic element of the, 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 the kind of marketing plan and, and target persona. But we've, we've evolved so much in the online world that we can actually now dive deeper. And you can think of a fractal audience as just making some, some decisions and bifurcating that trunk into branches upon branches upon branches. So instead of just going after you know, moms uh, that are 18 to 45, you might say, hey, let's just, let's just say, okay, the trunk of the tree is moms. Great. Let's let's take a, a bifurcation immediately and call it young moms and mature moms, uh, and then let's bifurcate the mature moms uh, tree, you know, to kids with one, uh, I mean moms with one kid and moms with two to four kids. And as you build out your tree, all of a sudden you will find this unbelievable universe of opportunities to reach that specific fractal, that node in the tree that you never knew was possible before. And the great thing about fractal marketing is the deeper you dive into the tree, the faster you can build a relationship with that audience, the less likely it is any other brand is there targeting that audience and building a relationship with them. And the more successful you can be in building a great uh, content or story play that, uh, that actually means something to them. It's much easier to do the research, to embrace who these people are, and even to find them online. So the whole idea of fractal marketing is to divide and subdivide your audience until you find a, a, a branch that's big enough that it's worth targeting, but small enough to be, uh, to be uh, meaningful to you. I think Does that makes sense. Total sense. It makes sense to me. <laughs> okay. I, you know, I, I, I talk about it all the time and, and yeah, you and know I, it, but well, I think if that you're listening and, and it didn't make sense. Let me know. I'll draw you a picture because I just drew a picture on a note card. Here while I was <laughs> it. <laughs> we'll post that. We'll post that along with go. this. But I, I think in the book you talk, I believe it's tractor supply is the exact, the case study. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe oh, you yeah, could bring that to light using tractor supply uh, because it's a yeah. real life example. And the thing I love is how you got you know you actually tied it to revenue, and and it's rare yeah. that you see case studies that bring it home like that. So maybe yeah, I, let, well, so, yeah, you're right. Tractor Supply is a great example of a brand who is courageous enough to pick a note on that tree because it really does take courage to do this. Because hypothetically, you're saying no to some people by mm-hmm. finding this note, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, so let me explain Tractor Supply. Uh, I mean, Tractor Supply. Uh, if you don't know it, is like the Walmart of the agricultural world. You can go in and like, you know, you can buy some Skittles and you can buy a, a riding lawnmower and you can get a bunny rabbit um, and uh, some overalls, like all in one shopping spree. So it's really, it's really a fun place to go. Uh, and it's a really big business. I think last year they probably did about $7 billion in revenue. And most of the tractor supplies are located in suburban metropolitan areas. Um, and funnily enough, tractor supply has very high awareness. Like if there's a tractor supply near you, most people in that area, if you say, hey, have you ever heard of Tractor Supply? They'll say, oh, yeah, that's that place down on whatever street, you know? Mm-hmm. They all know it, but if you've never been in a Tractor Supply, you're very unlikely to go in 
um, unless you have a very specific moment of inspiration, an instant where you need to go into a tractor supply or you've already been in there before. So they have high awareness, but they needed to get new people who know about it to come in the store. And as they started trying to figure out how to do this, they decided they can't just market to everyone. They can't just get more people aware of what they have because they don't seem to be interested. So what they did was they actually looked for opportunities to find something that would get people interested in tractor supply. And as they started to do their research, they came across this guy named Andy Schneider. Now, Andy Schneider is like, he's from Atlanta. He's, uh, he's you know, kind of a middle-aged guy with two young kids. And uh, his kids came home one day <laughs> and said, hey, Dad, uh, you know, where do eggs come from? You know, like the eggs they eat mm-hmm. for breakfast. And he, he said, well, come on. Like, you must know they come from chickens. Uh, and then they were like, well, where do chickens come from? And he was like, oh, my gosh. Okay, <laughs> we've got to do something about this. So Andy decided to buy some baby chickens and some eggs and hash them to teach the kids about raising you know, chickens and, and, you know, the the farm life, even though he lived in metropolitan Atlanta. And as he started doing this, he realized that no one was teaching suburban people how to raise just a few chickens. So he was, he was desperate for information and decided, you know what, I'm going to start teaching other people how to do this. So he actually wrote a book called the chicken whisperers guide to keeping chickens uh, he's known as the Chicken Whisperer. He even started a radio show. I mean, the Chicken Whisperer. How great is that? I mean, it's, it's awesome. <laughs> it's awesome. If you if you if you if you have some time and you're listening, check out Chicken the Chicken Whisperer. Just Google him, you'll find him in two seconds. Uh, he started with an AM radio show on traditional media in Atlanta, like every Saturday, and the show was a hit. You know, people were calling up saying, "Oh, I want chickens," or "I have two chickens," and I don't know what kind of house to build for them. Uh, and, you know, the show from the, the radio station standpoint wasn't a massive success. So uh, they kind of, after a few months, said, Andy, you know, you may need to find another place to do this show. And Andy decided to do it online. So the Chicken Whisperer started an online radio show on Blog Talk Radio. Um, and by the way, he, he went from just doing it on Saturdays to doing it four days a week for two hours a day. So from noon to two, every single day, four days a week, you can go online and listen to the Chicken Whisperer live radio. Uh, and he has guests, like a, he has a, a chicken doctor that's on every Monday. And, you know, he has, he has, it's amazing. By the way, one, one day Oprah Winfrey called into his chicken show because she's a backyard poultry fan. Amazing. Uh, and so he, he amassed this massive following of essentially suburban you know, uh, uh, people who were really interested in raising chickens and interested in backyard poultry. Uh, and, and like, if you check out his Facebook page, he's got over 200,000 fans. Um, and he ended up publishing a, a magazine, a digital magazine, uh, that has 60,000 paid subscribers. Uh, and, uh, and, and this is when all of a sudden tractor supply says, Hey, wait a second. Like maybe we can inspire people in our suburban metropolitan areas to, to get into backyard poultry. We'll call the chicken whisperer. We'll ask him if he'll, he can do some videos for us on how to teach people to, uh, you know, to, to raise their own chickens. So the chicken whisperer agrees because he's all about trying to teach people how to raise their own chickens. And the, the, the fans love it. The new consumers love it. And uh, Tractor Supply has this thing called Chick Days. This is a long-winded story. You no, still there, Jay? I'm here. It's good. I like it. <laughs> so they, 
they have this thing called Chick Day. I feel like is, we're now in This around... American Life right now. It's fantastic. Yeah, we are. <laughs> Every April uh, around Easter time, um, Tractor Supply runs a promotion where you can come and for like 99 cents, you can buy a little baby chick. And then, you, you you know, it costs like $700 to keep that baby chick alive. <laughs> it's a great business model, that way. Uh, and... And people start asking in the Facebook group if chick, if the Chicken Whisperer is going to come to their tractor supply for chick days. And tractor supply says, wow, like this looks like it's working. If we can get all of those consumers that have never come into a chicken, you know, a tractor supply to come in because the Chicken Whisperer is going to be there, let's try it. So the first, the first year they did 10 cities, 10 different stores, and around chick days they offered a four-hour workshop with, uh, with Tractor Supply and the Chicken Whisperer on how to get your own chickens. And all of his fans brought their friends and family. The first store they did, I, I can't remember where it was. I want to say it was in Alabama. Um, but they they filled up the store to the point at which it became a fire hazard, and they had to shut it down. Um, so they learned from that. They, and every other store is successively, you know, it seemed to get bigger and bigger. They rented a, a, a VSW hall to do one of them. Uh, they rented some mobile trucks for it. Uh, and it turns out that it is so successful that the, at the end of the day, someone who is brand new to Tractor Supply, has never been to Tractor Supply before, but buys one of those chicks on chick day from, uh, you know, with, with, uh, with the ass- assistance of the chicken whisperer, spends 11 times as much as the actual uh, average Tractor Supply customer. Wow. And... Even just the chicken feed alone from one of those stores uh, is worth about $125 million over the course of about 10 years, which is the, the expected lifespan of a chicken if you keep them alive that, all that long. So the, from a revenue standpoint, it's unbelievably successful. And Tractor Supply didn't start, didn't stop with just the you know, suburban-loving uh, you know, chicken uh, in backyard poultry enthusiasts. They then went into other fractals. They jumped around the tree and found... You know, 4-H fair uh, kids was another one. Like, if you're raising a pig for the 4-H fair, they created a whole tree for you. Uh, and and they went into uh, rabbits, and they went into equestrian stuff. So for Tractor Supply, this strategy has built their business. It has been unbelievably successful for them. But it, it takes some courage. You've got to choose a node and stick with it and commit to make it really successful. Yeah, and I think it's such a huge point. And, and the reason I love the depth of which you went into that story is it shows in today's day and age, like uh, you used the word courage. It takes courage mm. because a typical marketer would look and say 200,000 followers on Facebook. Like that's not scale, mm-hmm. right? And, and this yeah. is the opposite of that. It's own the niche within the niche. And you're talking about 11x revenue, you know, 11x consumer, yeah. you know, packed places, new customers, all the things that people get promoted for in a in a corporation, and and that fractal exactly. marketing, <clears throat> that fractal marketing approach. Quite candidly, I I applied it for this podcast. Brand Story Inc. was started nice. simply because I believe we believe here at Teamworks that which will be a segue into you know you validating or telling me we're crazy. We believe that the new age <laughs> the new age of brands and organizations are becoming media companies to you know entertain using that niche within the niche approach to gain customers um, through Absolutely. giving something of value, whether that's an entertaining yeah. moment or something else. But really, instead of relying on third party media companies right to advertise with, why not have exactly. 
a connection directly with the consumer. And as I started, you know, Digiday is great. I read it every day. There's tons of um, folks that kind of touch on the concept of a internal content studio for brands, right? Or that whole, but there was no one focused 100% on the brand content studio. And so I was like, yeah. you know what, why don't I just, it's exactly what you talked about. It was the the tree branch where I was like, okay, there, there's no one owning this. And so why shouldn't we? We're in the business of doing exactly. that and let's do it. You know, and so <clears throat> to that point, I mean, I, I still believe that, I, I mean, I look back, I've read Brandscaping a couple times and seven years later with all the disruption and evolution in media, the principle still for the most part, hold up really well. So compliments to you on that. But, but I do, you're out speaking to, I mean, by the way, Andrew, the list of associations that he speaks at across the country, (laughs) you know, it's, it's amazing that they're associations. I mean, you speak to associations of associations of associations, I think. (laughs) I have done that. (laughs) But you get such a, you know, your perspective here for me is, is really going to help educate, I think our audience. I'm curious as to where you see the state of brands and organizations in that media company mindset, thinking like, acting like, or not, as content producers to do what we just talked about? Well, I mean, I think, you know, it's it's something that I always have felt like hasn't moved fast enough. I don't know if you feel that agreed. way, but, yeah, you know, it, it seems like such an easy leap for me because the brands that do it well are unbelievably successful. I think they're they're successful for a couple of reasons. One, they t- they're willing to take some major risks. Uh, because I, you know, I'm a firm believer that no great marketing is is safe marketing. You know, yeah. uh, and so people look at those brands and say, "Well, we could never do that." You know, so they immediately kind of disconnect from it, and it looks unachievable and, and impossible to them. Um, that being said, I actually think one of the things that is is sparking a complete mind shift and change in the mind of a lot of these brands is the fact that podcasting has become so successful Mm -hmm. because it's a low barrier way to think like a media company and build your own radio show. I mean, just like you're doing um, for a very specific audience on a regular basis that's meant to build trust and a relationship with that audience in the hopes that it delivers revenue. Uh, So I have, I, you know, I would say in the last 12 to 18 months, I've heard more and more brands thinking like uh, a, a media company or a, a radio company to, mm-hmm. to, with a fair lack of a better thought, you know, they're thinking of like Radiotopia or a lot of these podcast kind of, um, you know, brands that are pushing out higher and higher quality programming to attract an audience that adds value to their, their bottom line. Um, but have I seen a sea change where everybody's doing what I think a media company does, uh, no, not yet. And I'm constantly shocked by it. Yeah. Because, you know, one of the things that hasn't changed, uh, you know, from, from a brandscaping standpoint, maybe maybe we're even a little bit ahead of, but is this kind of the, the, the focus on influencers. And I've been to so many events in the last two years where there have been sessions about influencers and uh, panels about influencers and, Complaints about influencers and success stories about influencers. Everybody wants an influencer uh, and, and is happy to have a relationship with one if, if they believe it'll you know deliver on the bottom line. But you know the Chicken Whisper story is actually a great example of it. I think one of the places that's held a lot of brands back is focusing on acquiring the right kind of talent to power their media company. That's a good and, point. You know, there's like a because 
a lot of people are interested in influencer one-time hit. Like, hey, they blogged about us, then they tweeted about us, then we got on Instagram. Whereas what's amazing about the relationship between Trap to Spy and Chicken Whisper is it's a long-term relationship. I mean, it's been going for over seven years now, yeah. and it's still just as successful. And the Chicken Whisper is the expert with access to an audience and a real talent. Like, people fall in love with the Chicken Whisperer once, he, you know, once they listen to him. I mean, I'm not even into chickens, and I find his radio show hilarious. Like, <laughs> would I listen every week? Probably not, but it's not for me. Like, right, I, you right. know, that's the great thing. So I think I think the big breakthrough is going to come when people realize in the in the brand and marketing world that one of the best and easiest ways to build a relationship with an audience is to find someone who, number one, already has access to that audience and help them be more successful with the audience they're building. Oh, are you um, seeing any good examples? Because I think to your point, we're, we're, I've seen a couple, right? Uh, there's some, like Marriott's done yeah. some courageous things. Marriott's done some good stuff, yeah. AARP and their original entertainment studio. I mean, they have shows yep. like Date My Grandma coming. I mean, it's hilarious, yep. right? They're doing some neat stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But it, it tends to be, to your point, I think this democratization of content, it tends to be like the third tier brands, the people who, you know, who may not have the huge budgets that are getting really innovative in it. Um, you know, even like a Treasure Island with their podcast series, which was a huge hit, which yeah. is a huge hit. It, really successful, yeah. I'm curious to see yeah. uh, any examples you're seeing out on the on the speaking circuit. Well, I, I mean, I've seen some really interesting ones like um, uh, the the Beef Council of Texas. <laughs> I love this. See, this uh, is why we have you on. We'd never know oh, about the Beef Council of Texas. Uh, I, I gotta get. I gotta make sure I get it right. But uh, basically, they did a um, uh, a show, a re basically a reality show uh, called Beef Loving Texans. Um, and first of all, it's fantastic. But they basically. Um, you know, partnered with this woman who's a chef, but also a, an unbelievable barbecue enthusiast. And you can picture any Food Network show that this would be around, right? Mm -hmm. like, and she basically toured around Texas, deconstructed the recipes for some of the best barbecue in Texas, and created a reality series around it. And it was awesome. I mean, really, really well done. What's even more important is the, uh, the, the Beef Council attributes like a, I'm going to get the numbers wrong, so don't quote me, but it's it's like a 50 or $60 million increase over the 12 months that they did the show wow. um, in sales of beef as a result of the show. I mean, um, to your point, it it's like, what are we missing? It's Maybe we're just, well, you're the smart guy. You get paid the big bucks to do all these keynotes, but what are we missing? <laughs> like, uh, why? Is it courage? What's what's the holdback? There's so many oh, examples of this in the marketplace. That well, I you know, I think the the holdback is the fear that it's not going to deliver on revenue. So yes, does it take courage? Yeah, it takes courage to to decide to make a TV show. You know, uh, about looking for the best barbecue. You know, and by the way, I just looked it up. It's called Barbecue Quest, nice, BB Quest, um, and season two is streaming now. If you want to go check it out, awesome. Um, but uh, I think the fear is that, hey, we're going to invest a lot. We're going to put a lot of resources on this. We're very excited about it. But is it going to drive revenue? And I think the, the challenge comes down to the CMOs of today, the marketing executives of today, really challenging their teams and themselves to start passing this to revenue. How are we going to measure the impact of this? And I think one of the reasons um, 
you know, the, 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 if, I, if I can go back to my loyalty loop and a moment of commitment, you know, I actually don't think it's that hard to measure the impact on revenue. Like, do uh, Food and Family Magazine, which is Craft, uh, Craft Magazine that they've been publishing for 20-something years, they measure the impact of their magazine based on the subscriber revenue versus non-subscriber revenue. So basically, the question they ask themselves is, should we keep publishing this magazine? Because it, 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 what's the value to us? Mm-hmm. And basically, every time they run the report, it says, hey, if you get the magazine, you spend X dollars more a month on craft products than if you don't get the magazine. So guess what? We should still do the magazine. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we need to start thinking that way. Like, if, if somebody subscribes to our video series, do they spend more than people who don't get our video series? If you subscribe to our podcast, do they spend more with us than if they don't get our podcast? These are the things that I think we need to challenge ourselves to answer because then it will remove the fear and trepidation um, for attempting and then measuring the impact of things like this. And, and, and the last thing I should say about this is you can, you can distribute the risk by partnering with other people. And that's what brandscaping is about. You, know? you don't have to take on the task yourself of building a content brand like this and thinking like a media company. You, you can mitigate the risk by saying, hey, look, you know, if you sell coffee machines and I sell coffee beans, wouldn't it be great if we got a bunch of coffee lovers to enjoy some content together every one mm-hmm. month? And hopefully your people who like our, our, your coffee machines will buy my beans and vice versa. That's what a brandscape is. Can we come together and agree that we can create some great content for an audience who's interested in what we have to say and the stories we have to tell? And at the end of the day, let's measure the impact for each of us. Final, um, final two questions yeah. for you. I know we're really yeah. tight on time here. So first one, I don't have a name for this yet. I'm calling it top of the stack. So whether it's uh, the, your nightstand and the books that are on there. Um, yeah. Or if you're not a vociferous reader, uh, you know, what's in your, your email inbox and your subscribe list, share with me oh, man. one of those. What's, what's, uh, oh, man. Well, I read a lot. Um, so I just finished mean people suck by Michael Brenner. Nice. I don't it. <laughs> um, but it's a really good, it's a really good book about putting the customer at the center of everything we do. It's a mean, nice short mean read. People suck. You said, yeah, mean okay. people suck. It's it's like it's basically how empathy can help you become a better marketer, a better business person, better leader. Um, but it's really good. He's got this really great model in the book that he calls the bullseye uh, org chart, um, where where finally for once somebody's put the customer at the center of the organization instead of you know the CEO at the top. Okay. It's really it's really well done. Um, so that's that's at the, that's at the top of my mind right now, just because I read it. Um, Let's see. Uh, what else have I been reading a lot of lately? Oh, I also listen to a lot of audio books. I don't know if you're an audio book fan. Um, but David Burkis, uh, who I, I like a lot, he, he wrote Friend of a Friend. I, okay. I'm not sure if you read that one. Um, but he's, he's a great guy. He actually just released like a, an audio book only um, uh, book, which I'm just about to read, called Pick a Fight. So that's like on my next uh, my, my listen now thing. I actually just bought it this morning so I can listen to it. You've got a contentious uh, list. Mean people suck. Yeah, I do. Fight. Don't I mean, wait a second. Let's I'm throw it out angry. here. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, David's book, David's book, David's book uh, audiobook sounds really angry, but it's actually about how teams use a, a purpose worth rallying around got to it. actually create awesome. a great company. So it's like a purpose-driven it. um, yeah. book, yeah. 
which I, I'm really interested in because at the end of the day, what you're talking about is needs and requires a higher purpose. Like, yep. you, you know, you've got to believe that you can add value to people's lives through the content or story you're telling instead of just believe that you've got to solve them something. If yeah. you want the content to eventually sell them something. <laughs> when, so. when you and I first met, we actually put a stake in the ground around it. My, you'll see a challenge here. Being being too early to the market sometimes can be bad because I, I want to say about 2015 yeah. is when I met you. And we had uh, yeah. purpose-driven content marketing was kind of on our homepage. Yeah. People thought we were yeah. in the religion business. <laughs> yeah. You know, it was like, and now it's like everyone's purpose driven. And we're like, well, wait a minute. We, we, we but we were there, we were. But, but you yeah, thought we were like, like the God squad. <laughs> yeah. You just got to pull up the internet archive and then relaunch your exactly. website from 2015. Exactly. <laughs> it's great. It's great to hang out with, with thought leaders like you who are ahead of the game so far that, uh, you know, I think um, there's another, another great uh, marketing guy. Uh, I know Russell Sparkman. He was talking about purpose-driven marketing. You might have even heard him at Content Marketing about 10 years ago, you know, was talking about it, and everybody was like, what is that? Exactly. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's amazing. Uh, it's amazing how fast people think and how slow the market moves. So, totally agreed. Last question for you is yeah. when you get the old rush to the stage after these keynotes, right, the inevitable – 100 people, 20 people, whatever it is, standing in line. What is the most pressing concern that you're seeing from marketers right now out and about across the U.S.? Oh, it's the same question I've been getting for 10 years. Like, what's next? What's next? (laughs) I get get asked that so often, and my answer is always the same. It's like, you know, stop worrying about what's next. Like, unless you're one of five companies in the world that needs to be a first mover on a new platform or with a new technology, wait until everybody else has figured it out. You don't need to rush in. And, you know, if if you sell widgets, you don't need to be able to order them with voice commands on Amazon Alexa. Like you're, you're fine. (laughs) Don't, don't panic. Um, And, uh, you know, and I think, I think people, marketers in general feel this pressure to kind of, always know what's new and what's next and have experimented there. And I think it, as, you know, that was fine 15 years ago when there were only a few things you needed to experiment with every year. But, you know, I was just in an event where I, I went to a session all about TikTok and, you know, for an hour, uh, everybody was talking about how TikTok's the next big thing and Chipotle made a million dollars on TikTok in one day with one campaign. And, you know, we've got to figure out TikTok now. And, I, you know, my honest feeling is marketers have ruined more platforms than we've embraced. And I think let's just, most of us can wait on TikTok um, until there's a bunch of people who have pioneered it and made all the mistakes. Uh, and then we can do it right and not do our audience a disservice by spoiling a relationship with them because we can't figure it out. So, you know, what's new or what's next is, is the question I get incessantly. Um, drives me nuts. Kind of. Well, Andrew, I can't thank you enough for taking some time out of your busy schedule to share some of your stories with us. Uh, Folks, if you're listening, Google, go on YouTube, search for Loyalty Loop, sign up, subscribe. Also, at Drew Davis here, H-E-R-E on Twitter. Uh, I promise you, if you are in the marketing space and you have, for some reason, not heard of Andrew Davis, you will not be disappointed. (laughs) So uh, thanks so much for your time, bud. Hey, man, thank you, guys. This has been really fun. Thanks for listening to Brand Story, Inc. 
We'll be back next week with another conversation digging into the ways companies are becoming like media companies. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and give me a follow on Twitter at underscore Jay Sharman and on LinkedIn.